Hello and welcome to another episode of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, you brought together here an awesome idea for today's conversation. And I just want to let you take it so I don't ruin it. So without further ado, Father, take the wheel. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Joe. It's, uh, yeah, just relevant to today's date. Of course, this podcast is releasing July 23rd. The day before is July 22nd. And that's the day we celebrate the St. Mary Magdalene. St. Mary Magdalene is the one who uh, gets blurred together with a few different figures. But what we certainly know about her is that she was at the foot of the cross. And she was also the witness to the resurrection. When she was the one that stuck around at the empty tomb, she wept, she longed for the Lord, and he appeared to her. She mistook him for the gardener, asked him where he had put the body of the Lord. She wanted to carry that body back. She just loved Jesus so much. She loved him so much. And so she uh, sought him, stayed with him, persevered, longed for him, and then had this appearance in the resurrection. And then he sent her and he said, go to the apostles, go to the disciples and tell them, um, I'm going to my God and to your God and, uh, and tell them all that you have seen and heard. And so um, she went as the apostle to the apostles. She was sent. That's what apostle means. The one who is sent. She was an apostle to the apostles. So she was also a recipient of great mercy. It's not sometimes she's blended together with the woman caught in adultery or with the sinful woman who anoints the feet of Jesus and all of that may also be true. But what we hear for sure about Mary Magdalene is she had seven demons cast out of her. That's said very explicitly in the gospel, the woman from whom seven demons were cast out. So she was a recipient of great mercy. And whether that was from adultery, from uh, whatever she got involved with, she certainly was terribly afflicted. Probably some of her own fault involved in there at some level, and God had tremendous mercy on her. And so she's a, a woman, obviously. She's a recipient of tremendous mercy that she didn't earn. It's a free gift, like mercy always is, but she receives that as a free gift. That really transformed, really changed her life. You know, sometimes when people are caught in cycles of addiction and have done wrong things, we can even start to despair that they could ever get better or that they could only get better temporarily or partially. Well, she got really better so much so that she just had tremendous love for the Lord and she became a, a model disciple. The other apostles fled. She remained with Jesus all the way to his death on the cross. Almost no one else did that. The Blessed Mother, St. John, one or two other women. She's one of the very few who remained with Jesus in that tremendous suffering. So she really became a model disciple. And then she became the first witness of the resurrection. So God gave her an exalted role and then sent her as an apostle to the apostles. And so we see, for one thing, the, the, the high role of women in the church, not because she became a bishop, but actually, she became a bishop for the bishops. She became an apostle for the apostles. So we, we see in her a tremendous love witnessed. We see in her the privilege of being the first one to whom Jesus appeared. In the ancient world, a woman's testimony was worth nothing in a court of law. It didn't matter if there was a woman witness. 
But God sends this woman as his witness. And so he raises up the role of women as witnesses, as testimonies for the most important thing, which is the resurrection for our Christian life. So Jesus really highlights the role of St. Mary Magdalene. Pope Francis, three years ago, highlight all of the things that I just said, the role of women, the role of mercy, and uh, the, the role that St. Mary Magdalene played in being an apostle to the apostles. And so he raised the celebration of her uh, saint's day from the level of a memorial to the level of a feast. And in doing that, he made it equal with the celebration of all the other apostles. So when we celebrate uh, the apostle Thomas or the apostles Simon and Jude, or we celebrate the uh, apostles uh, Philip and James, or we, we celebrate any of the other apostles or the conversion of St. Paul or the chair of St. Peter, all of these things. When we celebrate the other apostles, we celebrate them as feasts. That's the rank of apostle. So in a way, uh, Pope Francis highlighted it, the, the apostolic quality of Mary Magdalene and, and so highlighted a, this, this beautiful role of women in the church and, and in particular the role of mercy. So we celebrate July 22nd now as a feast, and that means liturgically speaking, if you went to Mass yesterday, July 22nd, then you notice that there was a Gloria. That's the way that we identify liturgically that it's a feast day. But it's also a feast for those of us who eat liturgically, for example, or who do little things liturgically so that we uh, have a little feast day on a feast day, on a liturgical feast day. You know, yesterday was one of those days. And again, to highlight the role of St. Mary Magdalene. So kind of a lot of stuff in there that uh, we can we can unpack further. I'll let you uh, lead that with a with another question, Joe. But I I was excited to share this with the church. I think it's a beautiful gesture uh, of of Pope Francis and something that's important for us to kind of note and and take to heart. Yeah. So starting with the actual way it works in the mass, and then going back to the the, the actual life of Mary Magdalene. So. Just to clarify for everyone out there, when we're talking about feast days or in memoriam, so you, to pick a random one that came ahead, like St. Blaise, which is in February, that would be an in memoriam, correct? Not a feast day? Yeah, it's actually even an optional memorial. So the kind of the three ranks, the four ranks for celebrating saints are an optional memorial, which is then the priest's option. He can choose to celebrate it or not, or he can celebrate a different saint that day. So an optional memorial, an obligatory memorial would be the second uh, rank. And then the, the third would be a feast. And the fourth would be a solemnity. Basically speaking, those would be the four categories. And Easter's a solemnity and Christmas and stuff like well, that. Well, so that's – we had some different categories, but just focusing on saints for a okay. moment – those would be the four categories for saints. And then we have things called feasts of the Lord. And we have uh, then kind of these highest rank solemnities like Easter and Christmas and holy days of obligation. There's some other things that go higher. But in terms of saints, um, uh, optional memorial, obligatory memorial, feast and solemnity. Those are the kind of four key f pieces. Gotcha. So, so pretty highly elevated there. And 
and yeah, so so let's let's kind of talk about why she's so important to the church. Um, I mean, it's obviously more than just a symbol of her being a woman. We have lots of women in the Catholic background that are very important. You know, you can think of St. Teresa, the little flower, um, you know, Mother Teresa. There, there's all kinds of women that have been made saints throughout it. But want to highlight, of course, she's in the Gospels, as you mentioned there, outlining that she's before Christ and she has the conversion. One of the things that we don't talk about very often is the demons within. And you mentioned in there that seven demons have been cast out of her. And you look at other examples that had happened in the parables and in the teaching of Jesus throughout his ministry, that many times when Jesus gives a miracle or an act of mercy to someone, they kind of just disappear from the story. Very few of them even ever come back and just say thanks. Most of them are just gone and you never hear about them again. And the fact that she stayed so faithfully throughout all of it and she saw you know you think about everything that goes on during holy week the reception that christ receives entering in like a rock star essentially and it ends at the end of the week with his death and then just to live through all of that and then stick with it to be the first person at the tomb the next morning had to be an emotional roller coaster beyond comparison and for her to just stay with it is is tremendous so i wanted to give you the floor there to uh to continue about the life that she had and and the relevance therein yeah i I like how you uh opened all of that up for us joe that these not only do we uh, get a picture of her post healing. We we actually really only get a picture of her post healing. We don't have the account of when she came exactly and how that unfolded. That Jesus healed her and cast out these seven demons. Um, we only get a picture of her afterward as a very faithful disciple, one who stays with him, as I mentioned, all the way to the cross, and then even remained after his body was removed from, well, after he uh, left the tomb, she thought his body was removed from the tomb, but she stayed longer than anyone else and then became a witness to him and then was sent to his, uh, the other disciples. So yeah, we, we only get a post healing account of her and we really see how closely she adhered to him. And you're right. Pope Francis isn't elevating her only because she's a woman there are actually many women saints, but it's a, it's a particular issue in our time. It's a, a point of sensitivity that people have this idea that the church is sort of anti-woman. And one of those things revolves around the priesthood that Pope John Paul confirmed that the church is, is not able to ordain women, doesn't have the authority to ordain women. Uh, and, and that's, you know, through the historical study, recognizing that Christ didn't ordain any women. And it's not because he didn't highlight the value, the importance of women, or that he was, you know, simply subject to the culture of his time. That's not true at all. Or he wouldn't have sent Mary Magdalene as an apostle to the apostles. You know, it's precisely the point that Jesus went counterculturally and he raised up women and uh, gave authority to women in a way that was never done at that time. He was very free 
of the cultural pressures of the time. Uh, he very well could have appointed female apostles if that had been what he wanted to do, what was the part of the divine plan. But we have a different understanding of the role of women, which is the apostles are really in the position of a bridegroom. So they represent Christ, the divine bridegroom. And they're, they're meant to sort of care for, to marry the church. They actually get a wedding ring when they're made bishops. So the apostles and their successors who are the bishops get a wedding ring when they're made bishops because they marry the church. A woman, on the other hand, represents Mary, and she rep- represents the bridal church, and she represents the motherly church. So women are kind of more at the heart of the church than men in that sense. So anyway, we could go into a lot of detail on that, but without going too much deeper there, just to say that there is a kind of contention about the role of women. And so highlighting Mary Magdalene in the role that she played, which was as a, again, as an apostle to the apostles. And it's it's a beautiful role that women play. And I, I can certainly testify to that in my own life. And I've seen it in the life of my brother priests and and uh, bishops that I know, women who really call them out or who summon them forward, who say, hey, you know, it's like Catherine of Siena telling the Pope, like, what are you doing out of Rome? Get back to Rome. What are you doing? And, and calling them out, calling them to be the apostles that they're, that they're meant to be. You know, these poor apostles were terrified. They were hiding. They were not using their authority. They weren't living up to their role. They, you know, they had fled from the cross. They had cowered away in the face of the, of the crucifixion. And Mary Magdalene, a woman, is the one who like, calls them to task and says, step it up, boys. You know, let's get with the program here and, and do what you were made to do. Do what you were called to do. And so I think Pope Francis highlighting that is showing like, no, the fact that women can't be priests doesn't mean that the church doesn't value women. To the contrary, the church from, the, from all time, from back to the time of Christ, to the time of Mary Magdalene, has valued women. Mary, the mother of God, uh, Mary of Nazareth, Mary, the mother of Jesus, is, you know, she's the greatest saint there is. She's a woman, you know. So it's not that there isn't a value for women, but what's the... Uh, what's the role? What's the calling? What's the how does how does a woman live out her holiness? How does a man live out his holiness? You know, there's a, there's a difference there, and so Pope Francis wanted to highlight because Mary Magdalene is so great for one thing, and she's a woman for another thing, and she plays a role in reference to the bishops for another thing, and so it really it provides a model for you know one way that uh, that women could live out their role in the church. I, I often think of you know some of these mothers. In fact, uh, my moral theology professor, who's a who's a Nigerian prince, you know, literally, uh, he's a he's a priest, but he's you know by by birth a Nigerian prince, and he was ordained, you know, and, and he is a man of a lot of confidence and I mean a lot of masculinity. He's a strong man. Well, his mother would call him to task, call him to, to like shape up and make sacrifices as a priest to get over himself and to bury his pride. <laughs> his mother really, uh, really gave him, you know, told him what for and wasn't afraid to do that. You know, these kinds of things, we, uh, we can look at things in too facile a way and think, oh, if you don't have the mitre and scepter, you know, the mitre and crozier, if you're not dressed like a bishop, then you have no power or authority in the church. Yeah, my foot. Uh, bishops, all the bishops I know, you know, have mothers, have friends, 
are, are open to that feminine voice that, that can really summon them to be better. So just, again, one example, not that every woman lives out her holiness that way, but just to say strong women, and they're, and they're a wonderful gift for the church and for the world, certainly have a role to play and, and an important role. And another thought that had come to me while you were saying that, as far as through Christ, the importance of outlining women in a time when you wouldn't listen to women, they legally had no voice. It's actually an episode we did maybe six months ago now. Um, but when he first starts his, his miracles at the wedding of Cana, he directly emphasizes that he is taking the direction and advice from a woman that's explicitly written. That's right. That's right. And just another example that, you know, Christ is for everyone. And even in that society or not even in that society, that society, particularly downcast women as a major group. And he spends a lot of time and energy dissuading that. And in a way that's significantly less direct um, and in your face, then he does it with the Samaritans. Um, you know, the good Samaritan, he, every time there's a lawyer asking him a question, he puts it in their face um, and uses that as an example. But he also does use um, a lot of ways of showing that the women are very important and, and throughout. And obviously that's true. Um, you know, you, you don't have a faith if you only have just guys. It's pretty self-evident. So just because there's some jobs that are, only suited for one sex or another, that's kind of the way the natural order is. You know, I can't give birth no matter how much I want to. That's I can't right. do it. It's just there's natural orders of laws of things. And at the end of the day, the church is one of the last beacons still pointing out that there are natural orders to things. And it doesn't diminish anything by any set. Actually embracing it normally leads to a better outcome. Yeah. Yeah. And it highlights the fact that the role of priest and bishop, for example, is more than just being a CEO. You know, it's more than just kind of a functional role. It's more than just being a good listener or a, a compassionate shoulder to cry on or something like that. There are a number of dimensions of the role of uh, priest and bishop that women would do better, but it's, it's more than that. It has a sacramental purpose. And so we really see it most clearly in the context of the Eucharist. Who is the priest? Who is the bishop in the context of the Eucharist? Well, he represents Christ, the divine bridegroom, who is able to say, this is my body, which is given for you, as the bridegroom does laying down his life for his bride, the church. So that's uh, that's one piece of that. I, I want to just shift uh, for a moment to, to point out something else. You know, Pope Francis did this during the year of mercy, also to enshrine the importance of mercy in the church and to 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 leave a lasting reminder of of the the beautiful gift that we received in the year of mercy and and Mary Magdalene is of course a particular image of God's mercy because she had seven demons you know however you interpret that seven is often the the number of completeness in the in the Old Testament rendering or the the ancient rendering so she had like all the demons you know all seven of the deadly sins all of the you know that you can read that in different ways but the point is like it wasn't good you know she had it was there was a problem there but 
But Christ set her free, and so she becomes this sign of mercy that's universal, not just as a woman, but as a human being who could be afflicted, who could be terribly oppressed, who could even be possessed. And Christ could set her free, just a free act of his mercy. And so Pope Francis wanted to give us that as a, a lasting memory of the year of mercy, which was a, an incredible gift in the church. In the year of mercy, we just, there were so many people that I think really encountered God's mercy. I know here at St. Vincent, for example, we started having daily confessions uh, during the noon hour in the year of mercy. And we've continued that on. I know in other dioceses and Pope Francis offered several things that should continue throughout the world and in many other places, the opening of greater mercy, especially through the sacrament of confession, but through other dimensions of pilgrimage or or ways that people became more alive to mercy, maybe the Divine Mercy Chaplet and um, certain shrines that were really highlighted in the year of mercy. Anyway, there have been a number of lasting gifts, but this is one of the lasting memories of that year of mercy that during that year, Pope Francis raised this icon of mercy. Mary Magdalene is really an icon, an image of mercy, of God's mercy. She's a reason for hope, even for those who are the most afflicted. Nobody is beyond the reach of God. Nobody is beyond hope. Even the person possessed with seven demons is not beyond hope, but can be redeemed and not only redeemed, but raised up to this exalted status an apostle to the apostles, a feast day in the church. And so it's also a feast of mercy. And I want to make sure that that comes out very clearly, that this is a, a reminder of, of the mercy that God has for all of us, wants to offer to all of us, and invites us to open our hearts to receive even more. Yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of that It just comes down to God's never going to give up on you. And it requires you to choose to go in that direction. And as you said there, she had all of the problems. You know, most of us have relatively few problems that in our own heads we make seem like they're mountains. But she had everything that could be wrong in terms of a spiritual standpoint and still was willing to choose God. And, you know, that's how you become, you know, the, the apostle, the apostles, being able to follow and stay with it. But there, there's also another element there, aside from her choice, which is not something I want to diminish, that the choosing of doing that is incredibly important, but also the strength to stay with it. You know, you, you can think about some of the times that growing up you thought, oh, it'd be cool if I could just stay up for 24 hours. What would that be like? Well, for her, that's pretty much what she had to have done to be the, the last one there and the first one up. And, you know, just a physical strength and a spiritual strength about her to continually going at it. And she had just witnessed the entire social circle spin in a week on Jesus to now they wanted to, to kill him. And there's a reason all the other apostles were hiding and being a woman, she was at the bottom of the totem pole, the easiest and first person to get cast aside and kicked down to suffer the same fate. And she was the most visible when she was the most vulnerable. And there's a lot to that. 
and that that's a great strength of character and and all of that but but the choosing to stay there in the company of Christ is something that I think that is important and shouldn't be overlooked. Yeah, it took incredible strength to do that. Really admirable that uh, that she stayed in the face of the suffering that she kept with him in the on the way of the cross. I mean, we saw, you know, Peter. Peter fell apart. Hey, you're with that man. No way. No, I'm not with that man. You know, I mean, he's he actually cursed and swore an oath. I mean. <laughs> That, that he didn't know Jesus. Like, wow, that's real different than Mary Magdalene, who, who really knew. See, she knew in a deeper way than Peter did. Peter would come to know that precisely through his denial, through his radical failure, and then his restoration. But Mary Magdalene knew she couldn't live without him. You know, life didn't matter without Christ. And, and so she gives that witness to us and challenges us. You know, do I... Does my life have meaning without Christ? And if so, then I I don't really know. I don't know him fully. I don't know how much I've received from him. I don't know how dependent I am on the mercy that he's given me. And so she really teaches us uh, what it looks like to really depend on him and to make him the center of our world. Peter, at some level, thought he could live without Christ. It's how he could flee and run away from him and essentially abandon him was thinking, you know, I can, I can do this on my own. Uh, it's nice to have him, but I can also do without him. Now he wasn't thinking that out of course, but in his fear, his reaction, you know, it's the ultimately what he's, what he's saying to us. So yeah, Mary Magdalene is an incredible witness for all of us on how we can grow more in our faith and witness to it more, more radically. Yeah. Essentially what she did was she overcame that, base animalistic urge that we all have which is to go with the crowd to run away in fear i mean fear is a base thing that's in all the all of our dna um you know it, it's it's part of life uh, and we all have it but to have the rationality to know this is what i believe and why that this is worth staying here and being loyal essentially that takes a complete level of devotion and thought beyond your gut instinct. And in that regard, she's, you know, calling us to do what, what the church does in, in a very large sense. You know, it, there's, there's a lot of th- policies of the faith that are counter the gut instinct of what we want to do. You know, only have sex with your wife you know just because you see something doesn't mean it's yours you know stuff like that that if we were only read by the reptilian parts of our brains would never be a factor and we see from mary Magdalene as the example in this podcast that following it really does lead to a much more fulfilled and better life not just for yourself but for everyone else around you so I don't want to take the last word here, Father, as we conclude the, the, this episode. I want to give you a chance to, to give your final thoughts. Well, I'd just like to invite our listeners, you know, maybe to read John chapter 20, which is where you'll find that little encounter of Mary Magdalene with the risen Christ and thank God for her and look to her as an example and maybe say a prayer to ask that she'll help you to receive God's mercy more fully and also to carry out his mission 
to witness that mercy in whatever way is appropriate, whatever way he wants for us individually to be able to witness that that mercy to the world. So just to turn to St. Mary Magdalene and celebrate her feast, even if a, a day later, whenever you're listening to this podcast, it's always a good good day to read a little bit of scripture and and ask for the prayers of this beautiful, beautiful saint. Beautiful. And thank everyone out there for listening. Um, we have seen a tremendous jump in the amount of listenership we've had. We thank everyone out there who has told a friend and let other people know about the cast. Uh, we ask you to keep doing that. And if you're a new listener, to, to continue to tell other people that might benefit from listening to us. We thank you all for being out there, and we'll be with you again next week.